1: Today, our guest is Krista Testani. Thanks for being on the show again, Krista.
0: Thank you, Whitney, for having me again.
1: Yeah, I'm pleased to have you back. And I I know during the other show that you were on, on show WS236, you know, you covered a lot of ground and, and there was one thing that you briefly mentioned, you know, just the importance of managing client relations and just that paperwork process and just, you know, it's a big process and it's hard in the beginning to learn some of that. You know, I'll give a little more about your background and then let you elaborate again. But she's a lawyer by trade and transitioned into real estate in 2009, buying singles. And then in 2012, started buying multifamily. They've been involved in acquisitions on the East Coast, including Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, and also Ohio and New York, amounting to over $21 million and currently owns an asset, manages 230 units in Atlanta and a 40 single family portfolio in Syracuse, New York. Co-founder of the Multifamily Apartment Investing Unveiled, a networking platform where Krista and her partners dive into the details of their experiences and share all of their most critical learning moments, which she'll share with you, you know, again at the end of the show so you can get connected with them there. But Krista, you know, give the listeners a little more, you know, about maybe your background and obviously I would tell the listeners to also go back to show 236 where you can hear more about Krista, but tell them a little bit more about who you are in case they haven't heard that one yet and let's dive in.
0: So, okay, thank you, Whitney. I am a lawyer by trade. I practiced for a number of years, about 10, but I did give that up in 2007. It was just an industry that required an exorbitant amount of time. And I did not, at that time, I realized I didn't really have a passion for it. And I wanted to do something that I was passionate about. If you're going to work X amount of hours a week away from your family, not with your kids, you better be passionate about what you're doing. It took me some time to figure it out. I left in 2007. I started real estate in 2009 by flipping houses and then ultimately transitioned over to multifamily acquisitions in 2012. I will say that transition is when I started syndication because I realized I wanted to scale my business. It's why I went into multifamily and you're not going to do that by using your own money. So you need to utilize other people's money. So syndication was something I did right out of the door, day one with my first multifamily deal. And obviously, it sounds obvious. I say obviously because it sounds obvious to me, but maybe people forget in the day-to-day activity that they're doing, you almost sometimes can forget how important the investor is. Like without their money, you don't have a syndication model. You don't have a business. So it's not just important to be transparent and communicate well and you know with your performance and your communication with your investors as you're ramping up to get the deal it's almost as or even more important to keep up that level of communication to keep up that level of transparency during the entire life of the hold because you want that investor for your next deal or maybe you want that investor for another deal while they're still in this deal and the only way you're going to continue to win them over Is by being transparent and communicating with them often. There's a lot of paperwork involved for the ramp up. There's even more paperwork involved when you're closing the deal. And then you have the paperwork involved when you're communicating with your investors during the hold and you're helping them file their taxes. So it's a big part of the business that I don't hear a lot of people talking about because I guess you can consider it back office stuff and people want to talk about. The sexy part of multifamily investing, that's finding the deals, underwriting the deals, broker relationships, investor presentations. And yeah, that is that could be the real fun part of this business. Managing paperwork isn't necessarily the fun part, but it's super important that you do it well, that you're efficient so that it doesn't take up so much of your time that you're only managing paperwork and you're not out there looking for deals. I mean, that's the quagmire. You don't want this part of the business to bring you down so much so that you can't move your business forward in other ways, which is networking, finding deals, finding new deals, and finding new investors. So it's really important to get this part right as quickly as possible.
1: Let's help the listeners to get it right as quick as possible and, and to learn from you and you know how you all have grown and just really have some systems now to help you all do this process. So I know you mentioned like the the paperwork from the ramp up to the closing to the taxes, you know, numerous things there. And so let's start in the beginning and let's go over some paperwork that they need to know about and be prepared to have organized and and have ready.
0: Okay, so you know from the very beginning, whether you have an IRA investor involved or a cash investor involved, you have your operating agreement, you have your disclosures. That's usually called a PPM, and in general, it's just to include all of the risks involved that you need to apprise your investors of, and then the operating agreement, and then what's called a subscription agreement. So here's the deal. This is what you need to do from the very beginning. Understand the documents that you need to present, get them in line, and how are you going to disseminate them? Okay. One of the things that you want to be more efficient at, it took us years. We were physically delivering these documents, physically getting signatures from everyone. That's okay when you're dealing with five to 10 investors and they're local. Now, you know, fast forward, our last deal was 50 investors and they were all over the country. So we looked into something called DocuSign. What I'm trying to head off right now is your time spent in collecting executed documents. So my advice is if you're syndicating, you have people all over the country, you're going to want to use a format where you can online get them their documentation they can sign online and get it back to you. You don't wanna use snail mail anymore where you're waiting for people. And thankfully, thank God, the legal community has caught up and for at least these documents, they don't need what's called a wet signature. They don't need an original signature on the operating agreements or the subscription forms that your investors are signing. So speed up the process and look into that. That's number one, because that was a very arduous process for us to do in the beginning when we were collecting everything physically from people or asking them to throw them in the mail. That is number one. Number two, if you are working with IRA investors, what are the custodians that you're working with? And hopefully it'll only be one, but sometimes it's more than one. Reach out to those custodians right away, get the documentation that they require. Not every custodian has the same requirements, the signature blocks. I cannot tell you how we were tripped up on our last deal because we provided all the documentation to the IRA custodian and they didn't like the signature block. And we had to redo the signature block for every investor and have them re-sign. The time that we spent in doing that was just time better spent doing something else. So when you're dealing with IRA custodians, reach out to them, find out exactly the format, the document that they want. It's usually called a subscription agreement. They want to see your operating agreement make sure they've okayed the signature blocks, include whatever language it is that they want, and that will expedite the process so you don't have to redo documents, which is what happened with me.
1: Great advice right there. So even who would think of that? Like they're not going to like the signature box. Who would have thought? (laughs) (laughs) So great advice, you know, like let them see the document you're using. And, you know, if you're using DocuSign or we use Adobe Sign, very similar. And so, you know, why not even like do a test one even like send it to yourself, do a test. Cause I do that. You know, if, once I think I have it filled out correctly, I'm going to send myself numerous test versions just to make sure it's working properly, right? Why not even send them a test, a test version? So you can, you know, honestly say, okay, I'm sending it to you just like the investor is going to see it. Please give me your opinion. Does this work, you know, for what you need or blah, 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 you know, whatever. So anyway, go ahead.
0: Another thing that I would say, get systemized right of way. And that is the compilation of your investor information to give to your attorney who will be filing certain things with this SEC. Okay, because whether it's uh we've never done a public offering yet, but I will tell you for those people that are doing the 506Bs as opposed to the 506Cs, there's what's called blue sky filings. And there's a tremendous amount of information that your attorney needs to compile. And the more organized you are and you can deliver to your attorney, the easier the transition is for him to file the Blue Sky filings with the SEC. So figure out what format you wanna do, whether it's a Google, Google document or Excel, whatever it is, but you're going to need to have investor name, address, contact information, social security, or IRA, tax ID number. So there's sensitive information, by the way, that you have to submit. So also make sure that you're submitting it to your lawyer in a secured email format that you're not just emailing people's social securities online. Please, another thing, be very, very protective over your investor information. Obviously, you have their social security numbers for the cash investors, and people are nervous about that, and they have every reason to be given identity theft and identity fraud is being perpetrated daily. So be very, very cautious when you are transmitting information that contains that you are using a security email. I feel like I shouldn't have to say it, but sometimes I think people in the rush to get things done, you can forget that. You can forget that. So that's really important.
1: Tell me how do you collect that information from investors in the very beginning? You know, obviously they're maybe making soft commitments, you know, for your opportunity, something like that. You know, when are you collecting, you know, information such as social security number or even their address or things like that?
0: You know, the social security is the last piece of information and that you're obtaining through some type of secured environment. So I would say get as much information as you can up front and populate that document that you're now going to hold. Again, is is it a Google Doc, an Excel spreadsheet, whatever format you're using. So get the email address, get the mailing address, get the dollar amount of their commitment as soon as you can. Get all of that populated as early as possible because you know what you don't want to have to go through? So you have your spreadsheet up and you're like, I didn't get anybody's mailing address. You got, you know, their email address because you think that's so important. That's how you're communicating. But you know what? Your accountant needs the home address or needs the IRA address. So you don't want to be, again, most things are not done by the mail, but you don't want to be three or four months into your process and have to recontact your investors and say, can I have your phone number? Can I have your mailing address? You just want to get that. And you kind of want to not have to hit up your investor constantly for information. So the more information you can get in one single communication, the better. That's the better scenario.
1: I'll tell you one way that I didn't know about this when we first started, you know, dealing, working with investors and stuff. But one way that's made my life a lot easier with collecting at least the initial, like soft commitment and some information that's not sensitive is using Google Forms.
0: Right, right. Because it's, it's a shared document. and Yeah.
1: And so... The thing I really liked about this was that, you know, when they complete, when they, you know, hit soft commitment or email, you know, it goes to a form that they fill out just a few questions, but then, you know, Google Forms automatically generates like an Excel file that just really nicely lays out all of this information. It's amazing.
0: And that's a great piece of advice, like getting that stuff lined up, like what is the system that you're going to use and what's the easiest? And and like you're mentioning Google Forms, which is a great program to use. Getting that information that it populates the way you're mentioning, that's so important because otherwise, if you're not making that decision up front and going with those type of choices, you're doing a lot of stuff manually, you know, and you're trying to save as much time as possible because there is so much to do that if things can generate automatically based on the investor filling it out, you know, that just saves so much time. And this is stuff that we learned because again, we did everything manually in the beginning and it was just, you know, but it's growing pains you progress, you know, as you grow, you figure out more efficient systems. You, you listen to people on podcasts who make recommendations. You network with people, ask them questions. They give you suggestions. So for a lot of us, it's a process that evolves.
1: How many different types of subscription agreements might you have for a deal? You know, or how can I be prepared as possible for different types of investors or, you know, are they using an IRA or cash or trust or, you know, all those things?
0: you're really going to have two versions. You're going to have the cash version, which it's all going to look the same. And then you're going to have the IRA, really only two. And then you're going to have the IRA version because even the trust, I don't think there's a separate subscription format for the trust. It's cash and it's IRA. And so again, you just want to double check with everyone's IRA custodian. Now, a lot of times, most in my situation, we've only had one or two IRAs that we had to deal with that were outside the custodian that we're familiar with. Most people we brought into our world were doing an IRA investment for the first time and we were able to refer them to a custodian that we're familiar with. That's very good. They have good fees. Obviously, we'd only refer someone that we felt was really a good choice for people. But nevertheless, if you're dealing with six different custodians, it's six different you know contacts that you better make up front to find out what's the form that they use.
1: Yeah, that's interesting that like your investors are, are mostly going through that one custodian. I know we've dealt with where they're they're used to investing in syndications and they already have a custodian. They already have somebody they're dealing with, you know, and so then we, we, you know, we have to check with them just like you're talking about.
0: Right. And we do have a few people. And I'm sure as our network grows, that's going to come up more and more where we're dealing with people who have already done passive investments through their IRA and, and you got to deal with that custodian.
1: So, you know, what are some other paperwork things that, you know, we need to be thinking about whether it's the, you know, we we're talking about through the ramp up stage, you know, having the subscription agreement documents prepared and how to get them signed and how to do some of this stuff electronically and getting that secure information. But then what about through the closing or even, you know, like you talked about taxes, you know, we got to have this information for taxes. What are some of the documents on our end that we need to make sure we have prepared?
0: So one of the things, so through the closing basically is what I was talking about, the operating, the subscription agreement, and then the, the compilation of information you're providing to your lawyer to make the blue sky filings. That's really through closing. Obviously, the communication that you do to update your investors during the deal is a whole different set and system that's involved. When it comes to paperwork, though, let me backtrack a little bit and get everybody ready for the documentation involved for you to help your client do their tax filings. So that's a big piece and very it's time consuming. April is not like my most favorite month of the year because even though I'm not an accountant, Someone in your company needs to be the designated person that is the liaison between your accountant who is preparing K-1s and possibly 990Ts, which is attached to the IRA filing. You're the liaison between your accountant and then getting that documentation to your clients who inevitably will be taking those prepared documents, bringing it to their accountant, and then they're doing their tax filing. So there's a couple of things that I would like to talk about with respect to this. Number one, set expectations. You know. Many people may be the type of people that they have all their tax docs lined up and they have the appointment with their accountant on January 31st or February 1st, I should say, because they like to get their you know, returns back immediately. You have to set expectations because there's a wrench in that plan for them and it's called the preparation of the K-1s in your passive real estate deals. Our accountants are dealing with hundreds of clients who are doing the same thing. And those hundreds of clients have hundreds of investors and they're trying to prepare K-1s. So you need to, number one, figure out what is the expectation from your accountant? When can they have these documents ready? And then you in turn have to get those documents and turn them around to your investors. So there's a turnaround time with that. Very important to set the expectations for the client so you're not getting emails for the entire month of February and possibly into March. Where's my K-1? Where's my tax docs? Where's my tax docs? You have to set that expectation.
1: And what's an expectation that you set? Like, when do you all try to have that done?
0: You know, it depends what's going on. This particular deal, tax law changed. The tax law changed this year quite significantly. Our accountants had a very difficult time meeting the deadline of the last week in March. They tried to get the K 1s to us by the last week of March so that we can get those documents out to our clients so that our clients have a solid two weeks to get their documents to their accountants, right? So if they have the documents by April 1. It's not a lot of time. I know some people would like to be at their accountants earlier, but again, in this particular case, you're dealing with an accounting firm who has guidelines too. I mean, we have a a contract with them that says they need 80 to 90 days to turn around the tax documentation. So unless I can find an accountant out there that I trust that could do it, quicker that's kind of one of the constrictions that we have in our business is that timeline in particular this year it was challenging because two things happened one the tax laws changed and i think from what my accountant is saying all accountants were struggling because although there was a new tax law with lots of new legislation it wasn't rolled out on january 1 it's not like blast every accountant in the world was able to plug into all the new information by january 2 it was rolled out over a course of a number of weeks. So they were waiting for the information in order to do the preparation. It was a crazy time. But barring that scenario, you know, I'm gonna say you really, you need to go back to your accounting firm and get the guidelines and push them as hard as you can to get it as early as possible. But my point is, you're only gonna be able to push so hard. And then it's just a matter again of setting the expectations for the clients. They can't complain about what they've been made aware of and they signed on to. If that's a real issue for someone and they're not going to invest because of it, I don't think that would ever be the case. But as long as you make people aware, you're golden. You're okay. It
1: goes back to communicating, doesn't it? I mean, you can't help the tax law changes, right? Nobody can help that. And as long as you're communicating why it's delayed, or maybe it's different than that first expectation than you set, then you know what else can you do? And that's what we
0: did. We had email blasts going out to our investors as The information came trickling in. We can't get it to you by March 20th. We think maybe March 25th and we would email blast that. And then we'll say, but we're going to update you because it's time sensitive. Things are changing every day. We were blasting our clients on a weekly basis just to keep them in the loop.
1: All right, Krista. Well, taking a little turn here. What would you tell yourself if you could go back and tell yourself one thing before you got into the syndication business? These are
0: deep questions. What would I tell myself? (laughs) What, to prepare myself? like? To, sure.
1: Any part of advice or anything at all?
0: When it comes to syndication, you know the biggest piece of advice I'm going to give you is get out of your comfort zone immediately and get in front of investors, whether it's a warm market or a cold market, because if you're going to syndicate, that is the meat and potatoes of your business. That's number one. And keeping in line with the theme of this interview, I'm going to say, covet them, cherish them, and treat them right. So transparency, consistent communication, owning up to any mistakes. There's going to be mistakes along the way, you know? So owning up to them immediately, no blame game. If you did something wrong, if you were late producing something to a client, nothing works better than just saying, I'm sorry. You know, I missed that mark. I'll try never to do that again. That's really important too, because every once in a while there may be a misstep. But I'm going to say everyone works very hard on underwriting and protecting that investment by underwriting conservatively. Yes, when it comes to the underwriting piece, that is so important. But there is a investor experience that is involved in syndicating. And it is mostly about the returns, absolutely. But in addition to those returns, there's this whole experience that's happening before that final return with that final payback after sale. Make sure that you work on that, that experience that you're providing to the investor, so that they can always walk away saying, "No matter what happened during the deal from A to Z, that was a good experience for them.
1: yeah, that experience is almost as important as the returns, maybe not completely, but it is very, very important.
0: It's up there, yeah, don't lose focus of that, and I think I think sometimes syndicators may understandably they're concentrating on working really hard to getting the best returns, so obviously that is their number one concern. But I think sometimes syndicators may fall short on all the other things that they need to do to contribute to the good investor experience you're trying to create.
1: And maybe we've already covered this as far as with the paperwork and systems, but is there a way that you all recently improved your business that we could apply to ours?
0: Just get better. And I think we're still in the process. Honest to God, it's about getting better with whatever you're choosing. Like you just said, Google Docs or Google Forms works really good for you. If people can do some research up front and do that, we're only starting now, and we've been doing this a while. You know, DocuSign—we only used that for the first time last year. I've been syndicating since 2012. The Google Docs, the Google Forms that you just said—thank you very much.
1: <laughs> I'm going to turn around. You're welcome.
0: <laughs> thank you for that piece of information because we do not have a system in place where it automatically populates into an Excel spreadsheet. I wrote that down, and it's like this is what I'm saying, like. I'm here to add value, but thank you, Whitney, for adding value for me and making that suggestion because I'm turning around and and looking into that right away. So all I could say is it is, again, it's an evolving process. And if you could do the research up front to look at online systems that are available to cut down your time that you spend on something that's really, really important. Try to remove as much manual labor in your record keeping as possible.
1: Krista, once again, you've been a fantastic guest. you provided so much value to the listeners. Tell them how they can get in touch with you and learn more about Sharpline Equity.
0: www.sharplineequity.com is our site. You can email me directly at Krista at sharplineequity.com. Krista with a K, K K-R-I-S-T-A. And we also have, if you Google multifamily apartment investing unveiled, you will find out we have a Facebook group that you could join. And also we have a live meetup that happens every second Wednesday of the month.
1: Great. Krista, we'll definitely have that in the show notes again. So the listeners can check out that Facebook group and and meet your team and learn from you all. Appreciate the listeners being with us today and every day. I hope you'll go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me. Also go to the Facebook group, The Real Estate Syndication Show, so we can all learn from experts like Krista and grow our businesses hope you're sharing the show, and we will talk to each of you tomorrow.
0: Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time.